The Nucleus Series for Lekutah Sichas, Volume 16, the fourth Sicha of Shemot, titled, Saving Only Yourself is Not an Option. When Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh for the first time with God's message, quote, send out my people, end quote, Rashi responds, quote, why Moses and Aaron do you disturb the people from their work? Go to your own labors, end quote. Upon which our sages, Rashi extrapolate, go to your own labors means go to your work that you have to do in your house. But Moses and Aaron were from the tribe of Levi, and the labor of the Egyptian bondage was not incumbent upon the tribe of Levi. End quote from Rashi. Nachmanides explains, quote, It is customary among all people to have wise men who teach them their laws. Therefore, Pharaoh did not impose slavery upon the tribe of Levi, who were the teachers of Torah and the elders of the children of Israel. End quote. Hence, Pharaoh was telling Moses and Aaron to go back to learning Torah and to teaching the Torah to the Jewish people. In other words, Pharaoh was telling Moses and Aaron, it's enough that you are free from Egyptian slavery, can learn Torah by yourselves and teach Torah to Israel. Why are you mixing into the private lives of the other Jewish people, bringing them to not behave in accordance with the ways of the land? Now, the Zohar states that the wisdom of Egypt was, quote, greater than of that of the entire world, end quote. Hence, we must say that Pharaoh's demand of Moses and Aaron is logical and acceptable. Being that, quote from Rashi, until now, no slave had been able to escape from Egypt, end quote. So within the laws of nature, there was no hope for Israel to leave Egypt. Furthermore, it was God who decreed in Genesis when he spoke to Abraham that Israel be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Hence, Pharaoh's logical and acceptable claims to Moses and Aaron are, why are you looking to change the ways of nature and the ways of God who chose that Israel be Egyptians' slaves for 400 years? Therefore, the Torah is telling us that albeit this is a logical and acceptable claim, nevertheless, we must recognize that this is but the claim of Pharaoh, and that were we to have accepted it, we would have forfeited the entire Exodus altogether, not only earlier, but altogether. Israel left Egypt after 210 years, and even then, but over half of the predestined 400 years, the exes had to be, quote, in haste, end quote. Were Israel to have stayed even one more blink of an eye, keheref ayin, moment, in Egypt, Israel would have been submerged into the ultimate depths of impurities to the point of no return, God forbid. Therefore, even though natural wisdom and logic demands that Israel simply accept the claims of Pharaoh, nevertheless, Israel is not confined to the order of nature. Hence, even though within the realm of nature it has been decreed and destined for Israel to be enslaved for 400 years, the redemption was factually long before this in a fashion of, I quote you from the Medrash, he, God, leaps over calculations and over terminuses and intercalculations, end quote. The lesson, as in Moses and Aaron's behavior, 
even though they were learning Torah and even teaching Torah to other, could have easily said, I, my soul, have saved. I'm doing the right thing. And could have sufficed in their service to God with this, without concerning themselves of their fellow Jews' behavior, whether they are occupied with doing mitzvot or just pursuing the physical void of spiritual and godly intentions. Here the Rebbe really teaches an amazing note. Pursuit of the physical void of godly purpose and intentions is as building the pyramids of Pitom and Ramses. Now the Talmud tells us, quote, why was it called Pitom? Because the opening of the abyss, Pitehom, swallowed each building they constructed one by one and it sunk into the ground. Then the Talmud goes on and says, why was it called Ramses? It is an appellation indicating that as the buildings were constructed, they collapse from the word mitroses, one by one and needed to be rebuilt. So the Rebbe is giving us a note here that when a Jew, he pursues physical without any spiritual intentions, it actually ends up being void. And nevertheless, being that this is the logic of Pharaoh, that Moses should just suffice in his own study and his teaching without worrying about the actions of the other, a Jew mustn't heed this logic. When one witnesses his fellow's house burning, he doesn't question whether it is or isn't his business, but immediately throws himself into saving his fellow and their physical possessions. How much more so must one's actions be as such when it comes to his fellow's spiritual welfare to save him from the nether pit? Now, love your fellow Jew has a couple of points. Number one, the Baal Shem Tov teaches that the obligation to love a fellow Jew applies even to a Jew who he doesn't know. Number two, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magrever of Mizrich, wished upon himself that he would kiss a Torah scroll, scroll with the same love and endearment that his teacher, the Baal Shem Tov, had for every Jew. Number three, the Magid then added on to this, that was the Baal Shem Tov to have known while he was in this physical world, how much he was accomplishing and building through his approaching and bringing close all Jews, as he knows now in the afterlife, he would have done it all in an absolutely even superior fashion. Number four, love your fellow Jew must express itself that even when one is fortunate enough to Go to your own labors of Torah study and prayer. Nevertheless, he must bring his blessed, this blessed labor of serving God to his fellow Jew as well. And then number five, and he must know not to push this off for even one more blink of an eye moment, lest he lose the opportunity to bring complete redemption to his fellow. Now the Torah tells us that the entire Jewish people are but one complete being. And hence, what lacks in one causes a lacking in all, including those who live but spiritual lives in the study halls and prayer halls. More than this, the verse tells us in Deuteronomy, you are all standing this day before the Lord your God, the leaders of your tribes, your elders and your officers. And the verse keeps on listing all the different categories of Jews until it reaches the lowest, your woodcutters and your water drawers. Now, when an army stands before its king, if a simple ranking soldier is not dressed, polished, and befitting, the claim is not made upon the simple soldier, but of his high-ranking superior for not training the simple soldier. 
So too, when standing before God, the demands are not upon the woodcutters and the water drawers for their lacking, but primarily of the leaders, elders, and officers for not taking care of them.